Genesis chapter 12. So I probably won't get very far this evening. But that's okay. So when we get to Genesis 12, we're at a point, um, just in, in the point of God's story, not far past Noah. Not a lot's happened from in Scripture that that's recorded from uh, the flood, and then basically we have the genealogy from Noah to Abram. We do have the story of the Tower of Babel in there, but not a lot of written information in the Scriptures about what took place in those times. But we can remember, to help us kind of understand the context of Genesis 12, we can remember why God sent the flood. That could be helpful. Um, And then we can also remember what happened after the flood when Noah uh, finds land and starts to rebuild his life. So you look in Genesis 6, and we're reminded in verse 5, pre-flood, pre-Abram, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's a that's a deep, troublesome statement. And so what does God do? He brings the flood. He he says he regretted that he had made man on the earth. He was grieved to his heart, and he wiped all of them out, but Noah and his family. So that is what's leading up to the flood, but then you have post flood. You would assume, if someone's not familiar with Scripture, not familiar with God's plan, you would assume that, okay, God has taken care of the problem. But what's one of the first things we see Noah do in John or in, in Genesis chapter 9? It says, Noah began to be a man of the soil. He planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. So the problem was not eradicated. Sin continued. The problem still existed. And we know as we just look through the rest of Genesis, we see the fallenness of man throughout um, every story that we see and, and we go into Exodus. And all throughout we see that sin was not eradicated but still continued. So we get to the time of Abram. Sin, sin is still a problem. And out of nowhere, in Genesis 12, verse 1, we don't know anything of Abram up to this point other than that he is married to Sarah. He is um, the son of Terah. Uh, Terah. 
But in verse 12, he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and keep him who dishonors you. I will curse and in all, or and who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God calls out to Abram, tells him to leave his country, his family, his father's house, and go to a land that he will show you. He calls him and sends him out. Why Abram? The Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say, because Abram was an honest man, or because Ab- Abram was, a bl- was blameless and upright. It does not say that at all. Out of nowhere, God plucks Abram out of the world. But I want you to understand the context of Abram and his family. Turn to Joshua 24, and let's see what they were up to prior to God plucking Abraham out from his land and his family. Joshua, so that's going to be the sixth book in the Old Testament, right after Deuteronomy. If you go to Judges, you've gone too far. Joshua 24 it is the right at the end of, of Joshua, verse 1. Joshua 24, verse 1 and 2. Now, okay, God plucked Abram. What was happening with him and his family at that point? Verse 1, Joshua gathered all the tribe of Israel to Shechem and and summoned the, the elders, the head, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Naor, and they served other gods. They served other gods. Now, as we're going back to Genesis, I want you to stop at Deuteronomy 7. So the next book to the left... When you get to Deuteronomy 7, stop right there. So why in the world did God pluck Abram out of idolatry? Why would he bless him? That really doesn't make any sense if we try to... Logically think it through. Look what we've got here as God speaks to Israel. Now we have to fast forward before I read this. I apologize. In that first promise in Genesis 12, he promises to make Abram into a great nation, which as we, I'm sure we're all familiar with, is Israel. So God is going to make from this one man this idol worshiper, a great nation. 
Now, okay, let's look at, we'll start at one, just so we make sure we take it all in. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, which is part of God's promise to Abraham, we just haven't gotten to that yet, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations, look at this, more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. Now go down to verse 6. God's still speaking to Israel, this great nation that which he would make through Abram. For you are a people holy to the Lord, meaning set apart for the sake of the Lord. You're holy to the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God, has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. All right? He has chosen Israel through Abram to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. One day, there's Abram, and God chooses Abram out of all the people on the face of the earth. An idol worshiper. What is he doing? Why would he do that? Verse 7, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples. Verse eight, but it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Now, the love of God is a great and I, I dare say mysterious thing. How could God love a man who worshipped idols? The answer is, you ready for this? Because he loved him. I don't know. I don't understand God's love in a way towards Abram that would then be moved out not just to Abram, but to his family, to his offspring, which, can I, can I do a little foreshadowing? His offspring isn't just the nation of Israel. His offspring is also you and me who are in Christ. The love of God to Abram was not this love that we could point to and say, Oh, well, you know, I love... When I met Sylvia, she was beautiful. She was funny. She was everything I needed. And I set my love on her. The love God had towards Abram and to Israel wasn't like that at all. There's nothing that he could point to and say, Well, God chose me out of the land of the Chaldeans because I had the prettiest idols. Or because even though I had idols, I didn't really worship them. He loved him. He set his love upon him and ultimately 
Israel and ultimately all of the offspring of Abraham, those who would believe, because he loved them. I, I, it, you, can't, you can't figure it out. He purposed himself to love Abram. Okay, so now let's look back. Let's go back to Genesis 12. Uh, and just so you know, the, we haven't really, we haven't even got to the covenant. The covenant really begins to take shape in Genesis 15. But this blessing and this promise starts in Genesis 12. So we kind of, we have to dissect it first. And so um, let's look a little bit more at, at, at that. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Jumping back to Genesis 12, I'm going too fast. There's a word that we call this kind of love. Mm, that's not a good way to say it. This is the love that God is showing Abram and Israel. It's God's grace. Now, I wanted to I wanted to throw out the question, can we define grace? But I was hoping that, you know, we'd have more people so someone would be willing to throw their hand up and define it. How do we define grace? Anybody want to take a stab? I like two words. Two words. Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. God, when God bestows His grace, He is showing favor that is unmerited. Meaning, you have not earned it. You have not deserved it. This is what is being poured out on Abram as God plucks him from idolatry. Abram does not know God. And it appears that he didn't care to know God. And God said, this is who I am. Follow me. And what did it say? Out of all the people in the world, God did that to Abram. All right, so let's let's ride this grace train for a minute and turn to 2 Timothy. We keep in mind always that definition, grace equals unmerited favor. 2 Timothy chapter 1. You know what's funny is people who might not have a, a, a vast understanding of God in the Scripture or just outright opposed to Scripture would say that the Bible doesn't make sense because God is all wrath in the beginning and all grace in the end. But really... What we see is God is the same all the way throughout. He is gracious and justice in the beginning and in the end. Now it's revealed differently and we see because of the way He has planned His salvation to the world 
that there might be highs and lows in certain places, but God is the same from the beginning to the end. God is the same from eternity past to eternity future. Okay, so let's see grace in the way Paul puts it. 2 Timothy 1, verse 8. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Verse 9. God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace. Now, do you see the deflection Paul is making here? When he's talking about the gospel and and what he has received by the power of God, he's deflecting any attention, focus, work on his behalf. Verse 9, who God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose, His own will, and His grace. And He gave us this in Christ Jesus. This is even more intense, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So we can take a step back And look at this from before creation. And we can see that these covenants that we're going to look at, God's plan of redemption is known in His purpose and will before He created light. An infinite God with infinite wisdom, infinite power, He knew His plan and purpose for one creation to the people of Israel. I mean, for all things, but I'm being specific here. Three, the Messiah. And four, all the offspring of Abraham. Old Testament offspring and New Testament offspring. I don't like using that. That's kind of a weird way to think of it, but before Christ and after Christ. It is all of God's purpose and will and plan before He created anything. He didn't didn't decide after the Tower of Babel, okay, I've spread all these people out. I ought to make a nation so I can do something among these people. No. (laughs) God is in all and through all for His purpose and for His glory. He's not taken back by our actions. He's not having to come up with another plan. He is just sitting in His plan that He's had the whole time. The whole time. Right? So, He has saved us and called us, not because of our works, but because of our purpose and our grace. So, the question is, and we think back to Abram, Does God save those who deserve it? Because you would think, I mean, why would He just do something so eternal and so 
gracious to someone who is an idol worshiper. But the, the plain answer is no, He doesn't save anyone who deserves it. Like, no one deserves to know God. And not because... It's because of your rebellion against God you don't deserve to know God in an intimate way, an eternal way. It's because of the choices that you made from this high to where you are now. It's because, it's because we, have been, we have been... We have been condemned already for our unbelief. We have been... Uh, um, we have what's, uh, there's a word I'm looking for. We have inherited this nature that tells God, go away. And therefore, and that's everybody. And therefore, He could justly and fairly tell us all to go away. Forever. That's fairness and justice in the eyes of God to a fallen mankind. Therefore, grace becomes all the more sweeter because we stand here. We've come in these doors. We've come in these doors tonight not any better than the people who decided they don't want church. We come in these doors tonight because God, like He did to Abram, plucked us out of sin and idolatry. And not because you thought it might be a good idea to be a Christian. Not because your family have always been uh, Christians. Not because you decided that following Christ was the best life option. If you are a Christian and you came here tonight, it's because God said, come and know me. Come and fellowship with me. And he... This plan began, even for you and I, with this first promise with Abraham. Our salvation is wrapped up in the promise God gave to Abram in Genesis 12. Look at what he says. Uh, Yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and move on. Genesis 12, what does he say to Abram? Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there we have it. The the promise of the kingdom of God through Abram. The beginning of the kingdom of God through Abram. Now, how does that work? Um, we'll just touch on Genesis 15. Flip over to Genesis 15. We'll just touch on here and we'll, we'll, we'll call it quits tonight. Verse 1. Verse 1, chapter 15. After these things, the the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision 
Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed that the Lord, he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteous. So we know that the the um, the immediate fulfillment of that promise is his son Isaac. That. This nation, this family, these offspring that number the stars will immediately come through Isaac. But the ultimate fulfillment of that promise is Christ. Is Christ. This covenant, and we'll look at this covenant next week in the rest of John or in the rest of Genesis 15. This covenant with Abraham from God to bless the nations is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Now, we we talked about this in Matthew when we started it. How does Matthew begin? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we can think back to this morning and we can remember that God keeps His promises. Now I've got this, I was gifted this um, big book for my birthday uh, on Providence um, by John Piper. And I wanted to read this passage, it's very short, about that which we had just said. It is important to see that God's election of Israel and his making her the focus of his saving blessing in the Old Testament sets the stage in world history for the global impact of Jesus Christ and his saving work for the sake of the nations. Israel's history is not an abortive attempt to achieve his saving purposes through Israel alone, which God abandoned and replaced with Jesus in the history of Christianity. From the beginning, God planned to make the history of Israel serve all the nations of the world through the coming of the Messiah. These are not two stories. There is one story of redemption in history, and this single story will prove to have one overarching purpose and that is the redemption of a people for God through Jesus Christ and the saints are gathered from Abram 
to the day the Lord returns. It's one story of redemption. And it began, it actually began in Genesis. Well, it had always been known in the mind and will of God. We see it take uh, its first step in Genesis 3 when God uh, curses the serpent. But it, we really see it take off in its understanding in Genesis 2 and God's covenant with Abraham. And so next week we'll come and we'll look at the actual covenant that God makes with him and what he does. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when you see what God physically does with Abraham, with Abraham when he makes a promise and he makes this covenant with him. Uh, so... You can read ahead, read through Genesis 15, even read, I think the next, we'll get into Genesis, I want to say it's 22, uh, as God kind of continues to unfold his promise and his covenant a little bit more. Yeah, Genesis 22, when when, uh, God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. So read read through that, uh, 15 through 22 this week, and next week we'll step back into it. Um, Before I pray, are there any questions?